UX Podcast Episode 147. Hi, and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pat Axbull. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And we're balancing business, technology, and people. Today we bring you part two of our listener phone-in. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and do it now. And also you can watch the entire um, f- two-hour live phone-in by visiting our YouTube channel mm. or our Facebook page. Again, we actually have no clue about what you're going to hear about t- hear from yes, about today. Yes, we do. So, we do have a clue. Well, we have a clue. We, we have a fair, fair theory, I think, about what you're going to hear today. Uh, but... These are the highlights, remember, so uh, not all of the show is going to be here. But some fun stuff about hands-on stuff like, James, you have a list? Yeah, well, the full full contents um, of the entire um, phone-in was um, working backwards, designing VR interfaces, a new MacBook Air, dongles, living in a VHR, 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 (laughs) VR world, um, suicide and chatbots, and then I... Then we get into the kind of softer side of things with mentoring and and getting what to get into as a UXer and, and scrolling, um, how to run design critiques, um, and we also ate a fair bit of cake at the end of the show. But I I doubt you'll hear much about the cake apart from this intro. Mm. That was fun watching as well. Watching us eat cake, it wasn't I, fun. No, I, that's what I heard. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Destroying a Panettone cake live um, on air. <laughs> A question I wanted to ask Danway about. Interf- I mean, we talked th- uh, 3D. We, you talked domes. You talked uh, 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 VR. But what about AI? Is that something you're at all looking oh, at? Oh, not in my. Or PhD, like a, like a no. chatbot or something, like speaking no. to someone. Because there's there's no interface. There's nothing to sketch really. I guess exactly. That will be mm. very interesting. Mm. But with my limited time, I <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> Going to mm. dive into that, although mm. that's personally, I'm super interested in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a very interesting space that definitely needs more exploring. Yeah. I've been seeing posts now where people realize that, oh my god, I think I've been talking to a chatbot or an AI, which what they usually call it then, uh, and I didn't realize until the end of the conversation mm. or something. And that makes you think, of course, how many times have you chatted with a with an AI without knowing it? Because you don't always find yeah, out sure. in that sense, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it all comes back then, I guess, to ethics. Should we tell people all the time that they're chatting to something that is not real or a, or a computer? And my take on that is be transparent about it. Always, always tell people that, make people aware of who they're chatting to. Uh, and I've been using uh, my new assistant, uh, AI, uh, Amy, Amy Ingram, which is the new... Uh, x.ai uh, service where the, you can actually use her as an email assistant for booking meetings. Yeah. So I tell her what my preferred locations are for meeting, for lunches, for uh, different offices locations I have, uh, bars that I like. And all I have to do if I've talked to someone, uh, should we hook up sometime, I send an email to Amy, CC whoever I'm meeting, or, or several people it could be, and say, I, sometimes I even say, can you book us a lunch uh, in the middle of next month? And that's all I have to write. And then she takes care of the emails back and forth. Oh, that's nice. And it varies whether people 
realize that this is a bot or not, but I actually have my footer of my emails, my my assistant, amy.xi, uh, at .xx.ai. <laughs> but uh, when this is also, of course, who was saying that? That was also at Interact London. The people were hitting on this bot, or people have started hitting on this bot, uh, trying to ask it out on dates and stuff. Mm. And sometimes it's unclear whether or not, or not that's because they're testing the AI or because they actually think that it's a real assistant. I think it was implied that it didn't mm. really matter. That they, they, it was part and of the that's whole another thing, thing yeah. We, we, we always game bots. Mm. Mm. No, no, no matter what, we always mm. kind of test them out and mm. try and see how far yeah. they, they, how they far go. How far we can go. Yeah. yeah. But they, we, we, we also, I think, we're starting to almost expect that they are a little bit sassy, some of these bots, or they do have... Yeah, you want them to be. Well, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you need to design that person. Okay, th- you need to design a personality. Yeah. Because that makes it more fun. Yeah. And they're always something. There's mm. Every single one of these. I mean, it's back to the old kind of mm. um, Easter eggs. Mm. I mean, there's always something yeah. hidden somewhere. And, um, um, and bots are the same thing. You can, you can elicit a response by um, saying something, yeah. uh, whether it's Siri or whether it's um, oh, a, a, some kind of purchasing assistant, um, um, a chatbot, then mm. um, you can still get them to say something. There's a realization of how fast everything is moving towards AI. And uh, Elon Musk and several other billionaires' initiative to actually find out, are we already living in a virtual world? So there's a team of scientists working full-time trying to break out of this world that we're in, uh, testing to see if it is a virtual reality reality (laughs) already. It's a creepy thought. And then you realize, of course, that doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter. So if we, li- if we allow people to go into VR in the future and immerse themselves <laughs> in that reality, will that be okay? Is that okay if they do that? Their bodies are fed intravenously, mm. but they get experience the taste within the VR world. Mm. Yeah, but isn't, isn't Is the th- will they be allowed to live there? But, but isn't the argument that mm. these scientists have is... Well, part of, it, uh, part of the argument is mm. that we don't even exist, that we're actually a computer, computer simulation... So not just the reality, mm. not yeah. just the not mm. the reality around mm. us, yeah. but all of this is actually yeah. just a, a a thing that's been run, a program mm. that's been run. Mm. So you wouldn't need an intravenous drip somewhere because you have no body because you're actually just a, a bot. Right, but in this world, I would need it. In this fake world that we're living in, I'm, I'm, the, what I'm getting at is, uh, from an ethical point of view, if presuming we are living in a real world, right? Would we allow other people to immerse themselves in a VR world and just live there? Would I think it's okay for my kid to live in a VR world if if that would be possible in the future? But shouldn't that mm. be the responsibility of your kids to decide? Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. If they think it's okay for them to live that way. Mm. Yeah, of course. They, I I could probably couldn't stop them, Good but I would point. hate it. Yeah. Mm. It's like deciding their religion for them. Mm. <laughs> so there is no ethical standpoint there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, clearly, there's ethical <laughs> aspects to all this. Um, no, but that's interesting, though. But if, if everybody's just allowed to do mm-hmm. what they prefer, as long as it's, you know, it's not about killing people, then I guess because Ooh, it's just no, 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 but that's an interesting ethical point. I mean, would you would you allow people to choose to go into a virtual world where they could kill people as a way of preventing them doing it? Maybe. So, so do you see what I'm getting here now. If you have a tendency <laughs> for violent crime. That one of the options could be to l- allow them to kind of commit themselves to virtual reality, mm. and in that world, they actually mm. could just you know 
go loose. Would, and would that be a would that be a good or bad thing? Because I mean, that person then wouldn't be happy mm. because they're doing whatever psychologically damaged thing that mm. they they kind of felt yeah. obliged to do. But we can't let them do it in a real world. But it happens in a virtual re- mm. world. Mm. Is that okay? Doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> I don't know how to respond. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's probably like, it probably it it doesn't hurt anyone. I, I mean, given all we know now about the human brain and and treatments and and psychiatry and psychology i guess we would still have to do an ethical review of whether or not that would help them get better because we presumably always want people to get better that might be one of the ways for them to get better to have an outlet it's like instead of taking a shot of medicine Mm. they go in there for 10 minutes a day why do we want people to get better though do we want people to get better to reduce long-term cost Mm -hmm. because healthy people are cheaper Mm -hmm. Or do we actually want people to be happier, uh, hap- so, as in healthier people are happier? Yeah, for their benefit then. Yeah. Mm. So if you had allowed ill people, mm. whatever illness that is, mm. if, if that illness could be um, pacified through full-time submersion in virtual reality, mm. that arguably could be cheap and happy. Is that a cure? No. Well, depends how you define the problem. Dep- yeah, it depends on how you define a cure. Is, yeah. <laughs> wow, I think we solved a lot of problems today. <laughs> <laughs> Create lots of virtual worlds. Oh. Weird virtual worlds. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was, sorry. I but that's a matrix controlled by humans and not by yeah. computers. Uh, part of me think it's appealing, actually. Um, if it's by choice. Mm. Again, if it's by choice. Then you'd have to review: Is that this person <laughs> psychologically psychologically viable to make this choice? Mm. And is there like a panic button? How'd you get out? Mm. Is there always that button on the door when you leave your house every morning? Get out of this reality, go back to the other one. Mm. Man, this is deep. How this did we get here? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's all connected to virtual reality. Well, yeah. wasn't wasn't it the, wasn't Apple MacBook Pro's fault? Probably <laughs> touch bar. It's a touch bar. If there's no escape key, yeah, no, it's you a, can it's never get out. It's t- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is it? oh, it's Apple's fault. It's all Apple's fault. <laughs> and you were talking about um, AI and chatbots. Um, at Collaborate Conference this year, there was a really, really great talk by Pete Trainer. We interviewed Pete, um, um, when was that? Oh, oh, yeah, last year at Interact London, he was mm. uh, speaking, so we interviewed him. Really, really nice guy, really smart guy. Yeah, yeah, he did a really, really interesting talk. Um, basically, it was around the, the topic of male suicide. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so um, amongst other things in their research, they found out how much data they can glean from your phone, which is kind of where the ethics came in, So, and how they could look at the data and analyse it and see if someone was prone to suicide or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they made some really, really interesting discoveries. Um, and the other thing was, um, obviously, that the, the, uh, they were talking about making a, a, um, an AI that people could talk to to relieve their sense of stress and burden um, and hopefully use the AI to talk people down from that brink of suicide. It was fascinating, really interesting talk. Um, I'm not sure if they videoed it. I think they did. Hopefully they have and it'll be up soon on the website. Mm. Was it was the thinking there then that um, 
that they could they could program an AI, or rather they could train an AI to be more effective, you know, because it wouldn't have the human biases and the human kind of like, um, wouldn't make the mistakes in the same way, or? The biggest thing was they found that men were more likely to talk openly to an AI than they were to a human. Ah, right. I, I saw this in another article we, we read uh, about doing research with chatbots where people were being more yeah. honest and open and transparent when they were actually giving away data to the chatbot because that wasn't to a person. So oh, actually... that, was the, that was the SMS, using SMS. Yes, right, yes. Um, as, a, as a chatbot to, yeah. to gain research, hmm. yeah. That's amazing. I mean, and that's even like when, when kids talk to dogs. Is, I mean, the research shows that when people talk mm-hmm. to dogs by themselves, uh, they're, they're less prone to depression and things like that. So just having someone to talk to and having a chatbot then that can actually also interpret and send the relevant warning signals to whoever needs to ha- res- mm-hmm. respond to those warning signals, that's an amazing thought, actually. It's, it's a similar thing. You're, you're right. You mentioned that. Um, dogs in therapy, I mean, mm. they, they, that's used in, in psychotherapy psych- yeah. um, or in psychology. Um, but then also the same way as with child psychologists, they often use um, puppets. Mm. So you get you get oh, yeah. um, you mm. get them to have um, children and so mm. on to have a dialogue with a puppet instead of the the, mm. the adults. And, and in some ways, I guess it's a mm. similar construct with having a, a, a chatbot as a puppet or as a as we were saying like we're just basically kids all of us so now this is our doll now that we have is our chatbot that we can play around with and have fun with in the same way that we did with cars and dolls and when we were kids uh, and play and let our imagination go free i guess but what does mm. this mean if we think about trust because some people say that yeah i don't trust chatbox i would or or ai i would mm. rather trust a human being but in this case it sounds more like the male people in the study trust sharing with chatbots more than they trust sharing with another human being. Mm. So what's... I don't, know, I don't know how much of trust was involved in it. Um, um, but I think it was just that... that um, it was more, I think, you don't quote me on this, that they didn't expect any judgment. There was no judgment from it. Right, mm. right. Whereas with a human, you would, there would be judgment, whether they said it or not, whether they were trained not to judge you, it, it's always there in your mind that there would be some form of judgment, whereas with an AI, it's not going to judge anything. Yeah. Mm. That's really interesting because when you, I mean, when you go a course and take a course in the coaching as I did, I mean, the first thing you have to try and learn is be non non-judgmental when you're listening. Even with your body language, be, be not respond in any negative way to what anyone's saying, even if you Im- internally perhaps disagree, but allow the person to speak their mind. That's really interesting. Yeah. Chatbots. Interview him again, ask him about it. Fascinating yeah. talk. It's one of the best ones I've seen in, in quite a while. Backed mm. up with lots of data as well, mm. which you know I like. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So I know that face- I know Facebook have been doing. Um, research into this as mm. well, or at least experiments mm. with um, um, with whether they can whether they can pick up signs, um, suicidal tendencies um, from the things that the activity and behaviour on Facebook mm. uh, from individuals as an early warning mechanism. It's not it's not the same yeah. as a chatbot, but it's it's another thing of using data um, on on scale to to yeah. look for signs that might be able to help people. Well, that's the first thing. Um, they were looking at was that was was the data and seeing what was collected and, mm. and what people were saying. They identified that um, about a week prior there was always this um, 
uh, overriding sense of burden. Wow. And that seems an, an alarm trigger. Anyway, he's got loads more. Mm. Dig out, go have a chat with him. It's really, really interesting. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Dig Pete out and... Um... Dig Pete yeah, out. Dig, dig, yeah. dig Pete yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the way I form these sentences. <laughs> Sorry, what, what we didn't do, Eddie, is we didn't get you to introduce yourself at the beginning of this That's chat. Right, yeah. Hi, I'm Eddie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, sometimes, we, sometimes we have to remember that you know, listeners need to know things after we've had these conversations or so on. Um, thank you very much for taking a few minutes to, to yeah, call in. Awesome. Nice seeing you again. See you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot. Ciao. Bye bye. Uh, I'm Patrick from the comments below. Oh, oh awesome. per- perfect. We, 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 just, we just started talking about your question. Oh, okay. But, oh, but, well, but feel free. that I called in. Yeah, but, but feel free to repeat your question. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll restart. Go. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm new to, uh, rather new to user experience. Uh, I work at a company called Viziba here in Gothenburg in Sweden. Um, and I'm trying to get in touch with a great mentor to have someone to talk to about various questions at work. Um, but I don't uh, have any contact with anyone in the business. It's rather small here in Gothenburg, and I don't know anyone. So what do I do mm-hmm. to find someone to talk to <laughs> about these questions mm-hmm. that I have? Okay, so we started talking about this, and we realized we need more. We need more information from you, because I mean, the industry of UX is. I mean, it's, it's so broad. We always talk about this on the podcast. We don't know necessarily what people mean with UX. It could be research, it could be interaction design, or anything in between. So it sort of depends on what your goal would be. Also, of uh, of having this mentor, what do you want to learn more about? Uh, what type of support would you like? Um, my first uh, thought was uh, Steamd. Have you heard of Steamd in Sweden? Uh, no. Uh, so that's a, a, a university uh, organization around human-computer interaction. So sometimes we okay. just have need to have the right search terms because human-computer interaction in the university world, of course, is quite common. They don't use UX in the same way, uh, but they have a mentor program. So that, I mean, that's one way to go uh, and try to get it that way. Otherwise, I mean, I would start looking at. Uh, following people on Twitter and asking people after a while, after you've gotten to know them and, and see. Because people are often feel that ask, being asked to be a mentor is a compliment. And, mm. and, and it's fine if they don't have time. It's, it's not, they're not going to look down upon you for asking. So, I mean, ask people all the time. <laughs> and also agencies. Uh, there, are, there are a couple of big agencies in Sweden, and I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of more senior UXers on, at those companies that are more than willing to introduce more uh, junior pe- people into this business as well. I think this is related to mm. an idea, a suggestion I've got, is that they, in most places there are, there are some kind of meetups. So you can actually, yes. you actually sign up and go mm. along to some meetups mm. um, and, and then meet people. And, and after, after a short while, maybe you could ask someone to, to help mentor you. Mm. Um, but then also think um, um, if there's any, it might be the case that your company has... Um, Related companies, and that's sometimes the case that there's like a, a, a parent company or a, or a sister company. Um, and it, it, I've seen some organisations where they have a more formal mentor program in the conglomerate, so in the in the network of 
companies that are maybe owned by the same investment company or in the same uh, same branch even that there is some kind of branch organization so you can approach mm. related companies and maybe ask them i mean mm. do you have someone in your ux team that can mentor me um so there are ways of kind of like going up and down and into some other, other departments um so they don't feel like because a problem with agencies sometimes is the client agency relationship it can feel you can end up in a little bit of a sales mm. situation um whereas whereas finding um, other companies and other UX teams and other companies um can can feel a bit more safe for people and and feel like it's okay to do it um and, and like I said, I, I would almost encourage companies to have um, more formalized exchange programs where uh, a couple of companies would have an agreement that we'll, we'll, we'll let, we'll let you know, like five of our team um, go off and, and mentor if you let you know, then five of yours mm. come here. And you can, mm. you can match people up according to, like Per said, if you, if you want to know more research or want to be mentored about research, then we'll match you mm. with someone with, with researching skills. Or, mm. you know, so you can do a bit of a, a, a planned pairing. Yeah. Yeah, and I would also say, even though you're based in Gothenburg, and it would be nice to have a mentor that you can meet face to face, maybe. Um, but yeah. don't don't necessarily <laughs> limit yourself to that because mm -hmm. now thanks to fa um, Skype and everything, it's easy to connect online and talk talk to people, no matter where they're based. Mm. So if you if you see some somebody holding a speech at a conference that you find interesting maybe get in touch with him or her through email, and then after a while, ask if he or she has time to mentor you. Mm. And set up times over Skype and regular meetings over there would work just as fine. I've done that myself, so it works. <laughs> a, question, a question that comes up as well often is, well, how much time do I need to invest mm. as a mentor? Exactly. To, to, to be worthwhile. Mm. Um, and if you're thinking about being a mentor, that's, that's mm. something that's an important consideration. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I personally think it, 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 as, it getting any kind of time from someone is actually valuable. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be more than, an, I mean, uh, half an hour a week, I think, actually can be valuable. Because um, that half an hour can give you, can give you encouragement. Uh, it can give you quick tips. Mm. Um, it could even, it can just give you that, that hug or that pat on the back mm. or you know, that reassurance <laughs> that mm. it's normal. What, you, you know, what you've been through now is actually, you know, something i recognize so so half an hour can be can be all that i i would even say half an hour a month yeah depending on the person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, for me mm. Uh, mm. when i was a mentee i i felt the mentor mentee relationship that worked the best was when i had a clear goal of the mentorship mm. when i actually told mm. my mentor this is what i would like to learn and i hope you can support me in that mm. so we're both agreed on what it is that he or she is supposed to mentor me in. Otherwise, it could be very just time flying or time passing without anything being achieved. Mm. Yeah. And that ties us mm. back nicely to the, what we said about the, the, how broad UX is. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and I think it, you get a, you'll get a better pairing, you get a, mm. get a match if mm. you can give some more detailed information about what goal you've got mm. with, with the mentorship. Which also brings me back to what I said when we started talking is, we would need more information from you. And then we all started talking without asking you any more <laughs> questions, which is a classic UX mistake. <laughs> we just want to get it out there. I think it's been, it's been very kind of you, very nice yeah. of you to, to ring in, Patrick. It was fantastic um, that you recalled him. Great Thank question. You. Um, thanks a lot for, for, for doing that. Yeah. Bye bye to you. Bye. <laughs>
I guess Facebook just drained my batteries. It was fully charged. It was like you were playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> yes. I'm actually my my iPad was fully charged when we started, and it's not plugged in. It's on eighty four percent, and I'm streaming video. I, <laughs> I cheated. Yeah. I I um I plugged in. Do you want to read the question from from my laptop? Uh, sure. One from Mo. Um, any recommendation for those who study interaction design now and are interested to work with U- within UX? Which area should we focus on? Research, visual, or code, or all of them, or maybe none of them? <laughs> well, that covers all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Mo. <laughs> uh, oof. So, right. So, so oh. for those who are studying interaction design today, now, should they focus on? I want to work in, in UX. I think, you know, straight away there, I think that's fascinating. Yes, that's a very good uh, realization that you are working only with interaction design and don't call yourself a UXer. I oh, love studying, studying study interaction design yeah. and talking about working yeah. with UX. Yeah. Um, mm. there, straight away now, I want to talk to Mo about, um, about what course he's doing. Mm. Um, what's it called? What are they studying? Mm. I mean, how does he see the, the, the What's included the in it. What's yeah. included, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the curriculars are very different from mm. university to university. Exactly. Yeah. Like his comment about code there, I mean, I've, I feel that I've, I'm so I'm a so much better UXer for knowing how to code, but I don't think you have to code to be a UXer. Mm-hmm. It's that's always the basic response with anything with the UX. I think mm-hmm. you can be as broad or as niche as you want. But at the same time, I mean, it depends on what. It depends on how big a family you're working within, because if you're if you're working with small smaller clients or mm. with smaller teams, mm. then then the broader skills that you have, I think, mm. Uh, mm. makes you the most likely to succeed. That's probably true. But so, if, you're in, yeah. if you're in a much bigger environment, mm. then um, it, you probably can get away with knowing less about some mm. of the other aspects. Mm. Yeah. Um, but code is one of those things where just basic awareness is, I think, essential. Because mm. you can't, I don't believe you can do um, an excellent job of interaction design if you don't have some understanding of the, f- the end medium Mm. that your design is going to end up in. Mm. Uh, uh, that yeah, ties I agree. I totally agree. You may not have to be a super craftsy and know everything, but just being able to communicate with someone that is mm. helps a lot. Yeah. To be able to work together with a programmer is, I think, is a vital skill. Mm. Well, if we take your example of the, of the, of the 360 presentation mm. and designing those kind of presentations... Could you do a good job mm. of designing a successful 360 presentation without having some mm. knowledge of that medium? I don't think so. I think you need to know the material you work with. Mm. It's very difficult to make something great without mm. understanding the material qualities, what's possible, the mm. limitations. It would be like designing something that you don't really understand, which is not so mm. Optimal. But you wouldn't yeah. need to be able to build the presentation. No, not necessarily. No, definitely mm. not. But just understanding the limitation, what's mm. possible, and I yeah. think that would help a lot. And I think so also it depends, again, what is it that he wants to do? Like you guys say, does mm. he want to work with big clients? Does he want to work in a small, uh, with a smaller agency? I mean, the thing it all is, depends. Yeah, the thing yeah, is, yeah, when Mo, you... Mo, you really do have to call <laughs> no, in because yes. we've got too many, <laughs> too many questions for you. When you're starting out, you don't know these things, mm. do you? No. You sort of... You apply for a job, you hopefully get it, and you, mm-hmm. you, there you are. And, mm-hmm. and I ended up at Ericsson, one of my first workplaces, mm-hmm. but I, I could have just as easily ended up mm-hmm. at a small company. Mm-hmm. And you never know if how big the team you're going to work with yeah. is. So in that sense, then what we're saying is the broader you can go, the better. If yeah. you can learn code, all, all the better. I mean, there's no, I mean, it's not bad for you. 
All righty then. Our next listener phone-in will be in March. So you should sign up for our mailing list at uxpodcast.com slash backstage to get some info about that when it's time. Big thanks to uh, people who called in and, and chatted with us uh, during the show. Gabe Medina, Eddie Rich, Patrick Pata, Mo Tirani, and Celeste Espinosa. Yep. Very big warm hugs and thanks mm-hmm. to all of you for, um, for joining us when we record these things live. And both watching, chatting, and phoning in. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's what makes these shows. It is, really. Uh, yeah, what makes these shows so incredibly fun. So don't miss the next one and be on it. <laughs> so um, this has been UX Podcast um, with me, James Roy Lawson, and him, Per Axboom, and even Danway Tron Luciani for these live listener phone-ins. Thank you very much for lending us your ears during 2016. Um, I really hope we've, we've brought you some interesting and... Oi, oh, well, Lerarik. Lera oh, that's Swedish. Um, what, what should we say for that then? Education? Fun and educational. Fun and educational. Yeah, yeah we've made, we've hopefully you brought you shows that are interesting and, and educational and fun and made you better UXers. Um, stay with us for more of it during 2017 and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. And stay curious. Stay curious.